0: There was a, a guy I met when I was at the University of Dayton and became a friend. I had known him because we would played against each other in soccer kind of throughout high school. And his name was Kevin. And Kevin was one of the nicest people you'd ever meet. He was extremely personable. And when he'd meet somebody, he'd, he'd remember that conversation. He was one of those people who was intensely focused on who he met. And so he always left a good impression. So everybody knew him and people remembered him and he remembered details about their lives and what was going on in their life. So because he made such a good impression and he was so kind of good at making friends and people knowing him, the, one of the most fun things is whenever you went somewhere with Kevin, like if you went to the grocery store, you went to a restaurant, there was always somebody he knew. Like we went to a Reds game and there's people that knew Kevin and it was just kind of one of the running jokes that anytime you went somewhere there'd be, oh Kevin, it's been so long since I've seen you, how you doing? And he would remember something they had done or talked about two years before and, uh, and that was just always kind of fun and it was always extremely impressive. Fast forward a few years, and I had gone to the seminary, and I was at a restaurant on the east side of Cincinnati, Eli's Barbecue, and we're out there eating food on a picnic table, and lo and behold, I hear somebody say, oh, Sean, I haven't seen you in so long. And I turn around, and there's Kevin, and his friends that were with him. He was at med school at UC then. His friends that were with him were like, oh my gosh, Kevin knows everybody, and it was fun to be on the other side because it was like, <laughs> Kevin does know everybody, and I'm one of those people, so... There was always this line, like, oh, I didn't expect to see you here. Like, everywhere he went, I didn't expect to see this person there. Like, you know, you don't expect to see people from Dayton in Cincinnati. And so there's always this, I didn't expect to see you there. And that kind of line, I didn't expect to see you here, is something that could be part of the gospel today. And you think about it from Peter, Andrew, maybe John's perspective, and James too, because they walk in with Jesus into this synagogue here in Capernaum, and there's a possessed man, somebody that's possessed by the devil. And for those that are sitting there, of course, Jesus knows what's going to happen. But for those that are sitting here, like, uh, we didn't really expect a possessed man to start shouting at Jesus and say, what have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? It's like, what, what is this guy doing in a holy place? This is God's house. It's supposed to be set aside Why is this person infiltrated, right? Why has evil entered into this this sacred place? It's supposed to be a holy place. They didn't expect to see this there. Unfortunately, though, this isn't terribly unfamiliar to us. How has evil entered to a place that's supposed to be set aside for God? And if you follow maybe the church news, maybe there's some financial issues, there's abuse, there's lack of courage, there's all of this kind of issues even in our own government, evil sneaking into a place that it shouldn't be. And we could be like Peter, James, and John. This is, of course, me reading into it, thinking like, how did this happen? This isn't supposed to be here. But it's kind of always the story, even from this time of Judas Iscariot, that there's evil that sneaks into places that it shouldn't be. And we notice in this gospel, and as we continue to unfold the path of Jesus and even the Old Testament, one of the first things that evil does is it sows division, it sows discord. From the very start, that's what happened with Adam and Eve. Well, where did you get this? And then they just start to point fingers at each other. Well, it was, it was the, the woman that you put here, she gave it to me. Well, it was that serpent. And then the division continues in their own children when Cain kills his own brother Abel. And it's what the devil begins to do, is to turn people against each other into divide. And even it it unfolds in Jesus' life. Of course, the scribes and the Pharisees begin to come at Jesus. They begin to plot against him. And Peter, James, and John's reaction is, let's just call down fire, burn the whole place up, and just wipe our hands with these people. And then even in the, the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter pulls out his sword, slices the man's ear off. That the evil as it enters in it pits people against each other it turns them and this finger pointing happens this accusing that's really terribly unhealthy and something that's just not good at all and it's really easy to think that this division that this kind of finger pointing this accusation exists like in the vatican or it exists in democrats and republicans or it exists in lawmakers in dc that this division exists somewhere out here but i'm beginning to notice that it's not just out there it's not just in some place that we read about in the news but it exists in our own backyard and maybe the over the last couple of weeks the most kind of eye-opening and new thing for me normally when divisions happen in our parishes, it's one parish pointing the finger at the other parishes. But comments and emails that I've received over the past couple of weeks have actually been within parishes. It's been parishioners pointing the finger at each other and accusing each other, and that division is, is gut-wrenching. It's hard. And so some of, just so you know, some of what, what's going around and some of what we're hearing and what I'm hearing and what's kind of keeps hearing is that there are some people accusing others of being unchristian for not wearing masks for not caring about the well-being we've had people come into mass and walk out we've had people resign from committees that they were a part of because people aren't wearing masks to meetings on the other hand get comments get emails about anybody who wears a mask is capitulating to the government and if they don't like it then just go home that there's this finger pointing that's even existing amongst our family, amongst this beautiful family of God. And this division is really the hard part. This division, this accusation and resentment that builds up in our heart against each other, that's what will hurt. That's what really kind of tears a family apart. And as I was praying about this and kind of just figuring out what to do, I thought, no, I don't really want to do anything, right? I don't want to have to say anything, But I I actually, this week, I called Archbishop and just said, what do I do? You know, what what do we do? What's the the right thing to do? And he said to talk about it. (laughs) To be a man, put on your big boy pants and go for it. Thanks, Dad. Um... (laughs) But I read something from Pope Francis that he was talking about corruption in the church and calling out cardinals and bishops and priests. And he described corruption as a blindness to one's own sin, a frozen conscience which doesn't convict oneself of our own wrongdoing, an unwillingness to accept correction, and a hostility towards those who would point out one's fault. And that hit me personally like a ton of bricks. Corruption is a blindness to one's own sin, a frozen conscience which doesn't convict oneself of our own wrongdoing, an unwillingness to accept correction, and a hostility toward those who would point out one's fault. Oftentimes I get guidance, get a little bit of correction, and the initial reaction in my heart is, let me tell you what you did wrong, this isn't what I'm doing wrong here, and to turn that and that's, of course, not good. And this, I think this has kind of bubbled to the surface over the last couple of weeks as we kind of move masses back here, praise God, but there's not quite as much room. There's, it's a little bit more crowded and uh, we're doing our best to, to keep social distance. Snow kind of helped that, I guess, today. Um, but at the end of the day, there's not enough room and we're going to do our best. We're going to do our best to keep people as distance as possible. But Nobody wants to be the one standing at the door that has to turn people away. Nobody wants that role. And so because of that, we continue to ask everyone to wear a mask because it is tighter and to try to make those who are most vulnerable, those who are um, in in kind of a compromised health situation, to feel safe to come in. Because the last thing we want to do is to divide our parish. The last thing we want to do is that the result of the coronavirus reveals deep-seated kind of resentments between each other and between groups, and as we reflect on the Word of God and as we turn to Jesus this Sunday, we look at the way Jesus acts with authority. Jesus, and that's what they're astonished at him, that he acts with authority, that the unclean spirits listen to him, and all of us in some way in our life obey authority, Maybe the authority that we listen to is the hysteria that the media is causing surrounded all of this. Or maybe the the authority we listen to is a blog that says that everything's a conspiracy. And those are maybe two ends of a spectrum that we probably don't want to fall onto either end of that. But maybe the authority is that we simply listen to our bishop, a successor to the apostles, who asks us to do our best, who thanks us who said, who reminded me that this is a good problem, that we have so many people that want to come to Mass, and we praise God for that. But the results can't be that we're pitted against each other. The result has to be that we're drawn together in Christ, that the center of everything we do here is to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves, because that is the greatest commandment that Jesus Christ has given us. And so we gather here once again to praise him, and ask that he may always keep this parish family united in his love.